Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jimmy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show, coming to you on this Saturday, May the 2nd, just after 1 o'clock. Just wrapped up my own 35-minute uh, face melter, just uh, preparing for tomorrow's advanced Sunday Metcon with our inner circle people and our 47-day transformation folks. But hopefully this finds you all staying safe and staying sweaty. And if you're still at the you know lockdown kind of shelter in place order that you guys are doing your thing. And if you're free where you're at, hopefully you guys are enjoying you know the weather and the environment you know as best you can. Uh, before we kick off today's podcast, which we're going to talk about um, solutions for stress eating, which I think a lot of you can probably relate to if you're still locked up at home, which most of us are. And uh, if you're just kind of coming out of it, but yet life is not back to normal, I'm sure the stress and the anxiety and the uncertainty probably isn't just going to wash away because it changes from, you know, one day to the next. So that's what we're going to dig in today uh, in detail. But before I kick off, reminder, our 34 Days to Fit program is kicking off here in seven days, seven hours, 49 minutes, and five seconds, exactly. And if you guys are unsure of what your fitness future is going to look like. Uh, you know, your gym might not be open for another two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and even then, who knows what the guidelines are, how many people can come in at a time, what it's going to look like for you. This 34 Days to Fit program is built for you to do in your living room, in your spare bedroom, in your garage, in your backyard, anywhere you can squeeze it in with just a set of dumbbells. We coach you guys every step of the way inside a private Facebook group. I share all my personal workouts. Heather and I will film some follow-alongs for you guys. You can send us videos in. We can correct form. It's very interactive. On top of that, we email you every day the workout that you guys are supposed to do with the full description. And then again, I'm in there with some of my very, very best fitness homies. We put together this program to kind of help you guys, you know, get fit and stay fit wherever you are at. And oddly enough, it, it kind of worked out for this season of life. So if you're interested... I think it's a great option for most of you guys since we don't know when we can go back to the gym since I think 95% of gyms are still kind of closed down and the ones I've seen open up, the, the guidelines weren't uh, weren't ideal. But again, who knows how that unfolds in the next you know three, four weeks. But until then, this program is open for you guys. So if you're interested, hit me up, shoot me a DM. And if, again, uh, money's a little bit tight right now and you could use a discount code, shoot me a message. I'm happy to share it with you guys if I can alleviate any of the economic you know, pressure for you. And again, it's a great way for you guys to pick my brain and work with me and we can all, you know, rip through this together with a like-minded, you know, positive support group of humans. Now, I can't stress that enough. I think now more than ever, the digital interaction of positive, like-minded people does help you eat better, train better, sleep better, and live a better life. And the education piece is obviously always huge. So 34 Days to Fit kicking off in seven days. Look forward to seeing many of you guys up in there with us. So to today's episode, again, we're talking about solutions for stress eating. Now, the original piece came from the homies over at PrecisionNutrition.com. I believe Julia Malkoloff is uh, the one who scripted this originally. And uh, oddly enough, I have a call with Precision Nutrition on Monday. We're going to talk to them about uh, what they got going on, maybe doing some partnership stuff with those guys. I do think they really do put some of the best lifestyle applicable pieces out there for you guys. So I wanted to share this one with you. I'm going to give the takes here from the original article and I'm going to give you my two cents and how I kind of navigate these seasons of life. And really what we're talking about with stress eating is just getting better, you know, 
saying no and giving yourself permission to do certain things as well. And again, I don't like to look at it as like how much stuff do we have to take away. I look at it like, well, how much stuff can we get away with? You know, it's like you're a little kid. It's not like you don't want to take away anything from them. You want to give them freedoms, right? Like to do things, but not so reckless and not so, you know, living on the edge that you tend to binge and overeat and make a bunch of terrible choices. So that's how I look at food. Not what are we going to take away? What can we get away with? And where can we strike the balance of how we look, move and feel and what enjoyment we want to get out of food? So for some of you guys, it's going to be saying no, obviously, to, to pizza and beer and wine and, you know, ice cream and Cheetos and Pop-Tarts and cookies and cakes and, and all those kinds of things. The comfort foods, if you will, right? Like the things that we tend to gravitate towards when we're stressed and have anxiety and like this season of uncertainty. For some reason, you want to, you know, eat macaroni and cheese and fried chicken as opposed to Brussels sprouts and uh, cod. I don't know why that is. But for some reason, it's like this emotional trigger. It brings back this, you know, memory pattern. Uh, the nostalgic stuff as being a kid, I suppose. Uh, you know, like when I was a kid, it's like, what what kind of stuff would I used to eat in a regular as a kid? Uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, macaroni and cheese. Uh, Velveeta once in a while, but that was for the rich kids. We were broke, so we ate Kraft. And again, I thought the Spirals Kraft tasted better than the regular. I know that it's the exact same, but the shape mattered. Kind of like when you got a PB&J or a grilled cheese, for example. Are you a person who slices that bad boy down the middle? Or do you go, you know, diagonal, like triangles? I was a diagonal person. I always thought the sandwiches tasted better that way. When they got cut down the middle, eh, just some reason it didn't taste the same. I thought the same thing of mac and cheese. But anyways, those were the things we grew up on. Capri Suns, Fruit by the Foot, Tombstone Pizza if you're fancy, Jack's was the next level. And if you're super broke, Totino's Party Pizza, which I think is awful. But you may do with what you could. Those are the things we tend to gravitate towards when we're stressed. Chips and popcorn and the things that are just snacky, munchy foods that they release this chemical reaction in our body, in our brain that makes us feel good in the moment. Although it does dig the hole deeper on the back end, we all kind of fall into that trap. I've yet to meet somebody who's like, you know what, Jeremy, when I'm super stressed, it's Brussels sprouts and it's grilled chicken. Those are my go-tos. That makes me feel comforted and puts me in a good mood. Maybe you're out there, and if you are, you are a unicorn, my friend. If I can steal your DNA and we can use it, we'll replicate it and we'll all be rich. But as far as I know, we gravitate towards the junk food and the comfort foods when life is kind of shitty, albeit this season a lot of us have kind of, you know, lived through the last, you know, six, seven, eight weeks here. And I'm going to share with you kind of the unexpected methods here to hopefully stop the cycle of emotional eating or at least bring a level of mindfulness to what you're doing so the next time it happens you can stop and slow down and then consciously have to make a choice you know between carrot cake and carrots if you will so more than 60% of people uh say they struggle with emotional and stress eating this is per the people at precision nutrition i would argue the people that I see here, it's probably close to that, maybe even a little bit bigger. Probably 7 out of 10 people kind of have some emotional or stress-eating triggers. It could be even higher. Uh, I'm just spitballing and kind of ballparking off the top. I think we're all susceptible to it at some point. And this was before the, the global pandemic, right? I think that's the normal life numbers. So I think during this season, those numbers are escalated. And I've shared before, me personally, if I want to think of myself in like three levels, right? Like level one stress is daily shit I deal with. Uh, people being stupid, being assholes, maybe losing business, maybe not closing on a deal, 
just, you know, normal life things that go wrong. I don't really let phase me. That's my daily life. That's why I'm so consistent with how I eat and how I train. Now, the next level is where you have a more kind of serious problem. Maybe something that's not going to last for three months, but it's going to be something I have to deal with and it pisses me off and it irritates me and it slows me down and it it's delaying some progress or just hoops I have to jump through. So I call that like the second tier of stress. Now, when I'm in that stage, that's the stage that I would tend to maybe grab a burger and fries over just my you know chicken, sausage, and eggs, for example. And that's me. Now, when I'm super stressed, which is very rare, those are those oh shit moments you have like, hey, uh, the government's making you close your gym down or hey, your your wife lost her job or hey, you know, somebody got in a car accident. Like those are the things where I feel so, you know, kind of wrapped up in it that I forget about eating it altogether and nothing tastes good. Nothing is going to satisfy me. Nothing is going to make me feel better. So albeit that I don't get enjoyment for foods. So when I get hyper stressed, which again is very rare, albeit it, it happened probably seven, eight weeks ago, that's when I kind of shut down on the food. I just eat the, enough to get by and I tend to get leaner, which for people like, oh, Jeremy must be great for you. It, it really isn't because you're not getting any enjoyment from food. And I do think, you know, food is obviously fuel for the body, but we should be able to get some enjoyment from it and some satisfaction, you know, and, and some, you know, satiety. I'm almost devoid of that when I get super stressed. So I do tend to go the other way. I know a lot of other people go the overeating route. And when they're, you know, quarantined and locked up, it's like they turn to food for comfort. So whether it's, you know, again, stress or anxiety or sadness or boredom or grief, it is very understandable why people turn to food and drink for comfort. Some people it's food, some people it's booze, some people, you know, luck of the draw, they they turn to both, which that's probably the worst case scenario. And I understand because food offers, you know, amazing feeling. It offers this temporary relief or a solution to the suffering and eating feels good. Having a buzz from drinking booze feels good. Getting high for people who are out there have done some drugs before, it feels good. That's why people get addicted to it. And that's why I go back to it because we're always chasing that first high. Probably like one of the first times like you had an orgasm, for example, or like one of the, the best ones you've had, you're always chasing that that initial feeling the first time you hook up with a girl or a guy it's that initial excitement whether it's you know because it's new or it's dangerous or whatever it is I don't know um, I haven't done enough research on it but it, we chase those feelings and when you eat I remember like the first time I was in college I had a Krispy Kreme like like right off the and again I don't love Krispy Kreme I mean they're, they're great right but like they're not my favorite donuts in the world uh, but they're good right and the first time I had a Krispy Kreme I remember it came off the conveyor belt. I had it been like a sophomore in college, maybe. I don't even know where we're at, like Nebraska or some shit. And uh, I remember like the Krispy Kreme like comes off the conveyor belt and they give it to you hot. You don't even got to chew that bad boy. I mean, that thing melts in your mouth. It's like liquid sugar. I could have ate like 40 of them for sure. Um, and so you remember that. That's like the first time you get high off a of Krispy Kreme. That's like your Krispy Kreme orgasm, right? So we're chasing that because eating food feels good. And like the first time you got drunk, but like not like puking in the toilet drunk where you got like a good buzz and just life was good. Like you remember that. And that's the hard part. There's so many emotional uh, and honestly physical triggers that bring that about. And that's why people it's I'll say this. A lot of people like, well, Jeremy, I don't understand why people gravitate towards this and this and this. I'm like, how can't you understand at, at our core level? I think we're all very, very similar. Some of us 
have mastered the art of delayed gratification. Some of us have been able to kind of block that out. And with some of these tactics here, I'm going to share, hopefully it will help some of you guys too. But again, it's not like I'm going to say something here and it's going to just make you never crave those things again. It's a skill you have to master. You have to win and build enough confidence where you are able to say no and you can turn things down and you can replace one habit with another. That's what this is going to come down to. Just like you train to be able to do push-ups. At first, you can't do them. You do them on a box. Then, you know, you do a progression from the knees. Maybe you do them, obviously, then from your feet. Then you can do plyo push-ups. Then you can do floor presses. Then you can bench press 100 pounds and 200 pounds and, and so on. It's the same way with the eating. You have to build up little wins to build confidence. And then over time, the consistency creates the ritual and the habit and the routine. And that becomes your lifestyle. And that's where you have to understand it's very much lifestyle driven and personality driven and you have to be able to audit yourself as you go through it. So when we eat food, it sets off like this cascade of, you know, pleasurable, amazing sensations and it makes it easier, you know, to forget about the uncomfortable emotional experience and shit situation that we have going on. But what I always do when I'm in those moments and I find myself, if, if I do binge on something, like I start eating too many French fries or I, I grabbed a bag of chips, like a big size when I should have just grabbed a small size or shouldn't have grabbed any at all because it didn't fit my macros for the day, whatever it may be, which is rare, but it does happen. I'm a human being. I'll find myself eating it. I'm like, you know what, man, like this is only going to make the problem worse. And I always create a visual in my brain. I, I picture like a hole in the ground, like I'm in this two foot hole that I'm standing in. And I can literally just pick up my feet and step out of this two-foot hole and just keep going on with my day. But the more trash I eat, the more drinks I have, the worse I eat, I dig that hole half a foot deeper. Now it's two and a half feet. I can still get out of it, but it's a little bit harder. Then the next day I eat like shit. Now it's three feet deep. I can still step out of it. Then it's four feet deep and five feet deep. And all of a sudden it's six feet deep and you got to crawl and scrap and claw to get out. And once that hole becomes like 11 feet deep, even with the good vertical, you're probably not getting out of it. And you probably can't, you know, claw and climb and scrap to get there. And that's what that's how I picture eating. So when you're, you know, 10 pounds overweight, 15 pounds overweight, you got like a three, four foot hole. You can step out of it. But when you got 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight and you've been doing something shitty for 50, 60, 70, 80 days, 100 days, 300 days in a row, that hole's pretty deep both physically and emotionally, it's hard for you guys to kind of crawl out of it. So that's how I think of it. And uh, if you think of it this way, right? When you stress eat, you're using food to solve a problem, only it's a problem that the food can't solve. So when you stress drink, when you stress abuse drugs, you're using food and drugs and alcohol to solve a problem that the food and the drugs and the alcohol literally can't solve. It can mask it. It's a band-aid on a gunshot wound. It might be able to get you by for the day, but it's not a long-term solution to the problem you have going on. And that's where a lot of people get stuck and they get into this cyclical cycle of this shit. And then they keep saying every day it's going to be different and I'm going to change, but they always keep reverting back to it because they haven't fixed that emotional trigger and they haven't come up with a system to understand and identify when the problem started and be able to swap one behavior pattern for another. And again, most people who experience emotional eating, they feel trapped and they feel guilty afterwards, which just perpetuates the behavior over and over and over again. It's what we call eater's remorse or drinker's remorse. It's, you know, in college, maybe I had it like 
I drink so much where I'm like hugging the toilet and I'm just, I'm puking and I'm puking and you feel so shitty or like, you know, you lay on your bed and they say, put your foot on the ground. If you got the spins, like that shouldn't ever work for me. Once you got the spins, man, you're in for it. And, uh, I remember just like hugging the toilet and I literally would just be like praying like, God, God, please can I just feel better? If you just make me feel better, I'll never drink again. And you know, you're full of shit because next Friday night you're going to go do the same stupid stuff because you're dumb and you're young, but eventually you do learn to not push the pace of that. And I think that's what we talk about. You have this this drinker's remorse and this eater's remorse where you eat this amazing piece of cake and uh, you have two glasses of wine or something. And then maybe not that night because uh, you're buzzing and you just you pass out. But then you wake up the next day and you're like, ah, oh, you're looking a little bit softer, a little bit fluffy, or you just don't feel good. Your digestive system's kind of off. You're not going to the bathroom normal. You don't feel normal. You, you feel like you got a hangover about both of food and alcohol, or maybe it's just food. And that's what I'm talking about. You feel this guilt, that eaters and drinkers remorse, which which sucks, man. And nobody should feel that. You should be able to eat things and drink things the way that you choose to. So, you know, the three kind of ways and strategies you can deal with stress eating, I'm going to dig down here and I'm going to, I'm going to share you guys, you know, what works for me. But Again, some of these ideas might resonate with you. Some of them might not, but I would say try them all or just pick one and roll with it and see if it works. And so the first one, you have to develop like an awareness around what triggers your overeating. And I think self-awareness is real, but drinking awareness and eating awareness is the same way. Just like you have body awareness in the gym when you train. What movements are you good at? Which ones do you suck at? What things you know make your body feel good? What things put them in pain? What activities are safe? Uh, you know, and it's risk reward, right? It's like, can you do box jumps? Surely you can. Are they necessary? No. Uh, what are you trying to do them for? Or is it for aerobic work? Cause there's 10,000 things you can do safer than box jumps. Is it for leg development? Cause there's 10,000 things you can do that are safer than that. And I'm not saying like you can't do box jumps, but if they're safe, and efficient, then you have, you know, the proper knee, hip, ankle mobility, and you can land softly and you understand what's going on. And it's programmed. You can throw them in. But at some point, you know, doing box jumps, at least at speed for high volume, it's like running around your house with scissors. Can you do it? Sure. But what's the point? Eventually something bad is going to happen. And so you have to have a body awareness when you train, just like you have to have a mental and social awareness around what triggers your overeating or your drinking habits or your, your drug habits. All these things are very similar. The second one, you have to provide tools to help you when your triggers are activated. What are the things that are going to help you when you feel that way, when you're set off, when you're in that state? And that's why I talk about states. kind of like when you have an argument with your husband or wife. You guys, your physiology changes, right? Like when you are arguing with your husband or wife or your kids, you're not both laying down in bed. You don't lay on your couch and scream when you're in an argument. You sit up, you stand up, you assume kind of like you're arguing fight position, you know, think about like in a boxing ring or in the octagon. You, you know, your hands are on your hips, your hands are raised and your heart rate is up. You get a little bit flushed. You change your state, your physical state changes. Think about that next time. If you and your husband you and your wife are laying in bed and you get into an argument, you're not just going to lay there. You might turn up to your side. One of you might sit up. One of you might stand up. And that's how it begins. And your voice starts to raise. That's what I talk about. You have to understand what triggers are activated. And do you have tools in place 
to help you alleviate that. And then the last one, obviously understanding what your behavior around food is and understand like it doesn't define who you are. Your behavior around food does not define who you are as a person. And we'll dig into that in a little bit. And again, a variety of methods, you know, can work to tackle like a real complex issue, which this is. And so the first strategy is go ahead and overeat, you know, and in the context I'm going to share here, you know, that sounds counterintuitive, you know, but your brain likes to have certain patterns. That's why I always harp on a schedule and routine. That's why I'm here right now. And I've been here since the early hours of the morning because the structure, I don't want to say gives me security is probably not uh, the right way to word it. The structure makes me feel free. And I know that's like jumbo shrimp, right? Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. But the more structured I can be, the more freedom I feel I have, the more in control I am. The more I'm into my routine, I feel like I have ownership of my decisions and what's going on. I feel like I, you know, am the puppet master. I'm not the puppet, if that makes sense. And so a lot of our thoughts and our emotions and our actions are usually on autopilot, right? Like we just kind of go through the day in the motions based on the routine and the pattern you're used to. And then there are parts of the sequences our brains know well from years of practice. And those sequences just need triggers in order to take place. And in the presence of a trigger, your brain dictates, you know, a given behavior like stress eating, for example, or stress drinking without really requiring a conscious decision or you making effort on your part. You know, food cravings, uh, drink cravings, if you guys are, you know, drug cravings, I think they're all very much tied to one another because our brain are, is used to these patterns, right? And so the physical sensation of hunger is obviously probably the most obvious trigger. Your stomach is grumbling, um, you're slightly shaky, you are, are craving something, you're in that, you know, hangry uh, kind of mindset where it's like everything sounds great, uh, even, you know, Brussels sprouts probably sound good if you're really that hungry, right? Like I'm talking like you're really legit starving, not just like, oh, I want tacos. No, like you're jonesing for like any kind of food you want to put in your mouth. So it's like, I'm talking like that's when you're past the point of no return. And uh, you walk into your house and it's like, you, you know, you should make this for dinner, but your kids got goldfish there and you got to put something in your mouth that you're just shoveling in goldfish or Teddy Grahams or uh, Cheerios, whatever you guys buy kids, that's what I assume is, is in a lot of people's cabinets. And they all sound actually really good to me right now because I'm hungry, but that's what I mean. So the stress eating usually occurs after, you know, other types of triggers, um, you know, sights, smells, people, emotions, all these things can trigger it. Uh, for the example here, you might find yourself hitting the Girl Scout cookies. Uh, you know, those, those little terrorists. Uh, those Girl Scouts, man, they're like little mercenaries strolling up to your house. Or what they do now is they post up outside the grocery store. I always put my earbuds in. I pretend like I'm talking on the phone so I ignore uh, little Cynthia. Because little Cynthia is trying to sell me some, you know, Thin Mints and some Samoas. Little Cynthia, I don't need that shit. I'm trying to be shredded. So I try to bypass them. And even my neighbors, when they come to our house, most of the time I just give them the money and tell them to keep the cookies. But once in a while... Uh, They'll sell me on it and I'll, I'll crush a box of Thin Mints and, you know, move on with my day, you know, cut my losses. But, you know, you might find yourself, you know, crushing Girl Scout cookies or whatever your favorite cookies or cakes are every, you know, Sunday afternoon. And you're always left wondering, you know, like, 
how did that happen and why you feel so crappy afterwards? Well, the process is so automatic, you don't really have any idea what's even triggering it. And if you really start paying close attention, you might have an epiphany or like a a wake-up moment. And that's also the time that you have an argument with your kids or when your boss sends an email or when you talk to your dad or your mom or whatever, something might be triggering that. You might have an argument with your mom because you don't agree with whatever, and then you start drinking. You get pissed off at your boss because this, and you start eating cinnamon rolls. You have to really start to identify why do I start doing this mindless behavior or this behavior that is bringing me away from my goals, not closer to my goals. And that way you can help to kind of solve the mystery, right? Like to understand X is causing Y. And again, causation, correlation, like you have to really drill down. And that's why I say self-auditing is such a key to understand why does one domino affect the next? Is this really the case? Why am I justifying it? And why am I turning to this after that happened? And so the one thing I would say is you have to give yourself permission to overeat. And I know that feels super counterintuitive and it feels stupid. And Jeremy, that's dumb advice. And that probably feels uncomfortable, but you got to view it as like a learning experience and a step in the process. And again, plus there's, you know, probably worse ways, you know, you can learn what your triggers are. And so how would you do it? Right. The next time you have this urge to stress eat, just try it as an experiment. And, you know, in the PN article, they're talking about like a behavior awareness worksheet. We call it in our space a self-auditing worksheet. You audit yourself. And it's basically like a Word document or you can do it on pen and paper. And you document what happens and how you feel before, during, and after your overeating session. And again, it's a judgment-free zone. doesn't matter. Even for our people here, if they're asking me, Jeremy, how would you do cheat meals? I'm talking about this before. I will take like an hour a week, maybe two. Uh, depends on the week, what I got going on, uh, and how what my training schedule is and how I feel. But usually I'll take like a Saturday, which is today, and I'll take an hour and I'll eat whatever the hell I want. Not really worrying about it. Might support one of our local, you know, favorite restaurants, which we've been doing here lately. Uh, I can't do it every day because I'd be 300 pounds and two, it would crush my bank account over time. Uh, but uh, I want to support these guys best I can. So I'll set an hour and say, hey, if we're going to go to pitch, let's get uh, a pizza and some onion rings and we'll go from there. Or if we go to Roaring Fork, let's say, hey, let's get a burger and maybe some flatbread and whatever else. And I'll take 60 minutes and I'll eat that. And again, if I have something else, I might throw in a perfect bar, might have some Ezekiel muffins, some Power Crunch bars. I don't know. Maybe some cinnamon rolls. What if I go crazy? It doesn't really matter. I take 60 minutes and I eat whatever the hell I want. And I don't really worry about it. It doesn't matter. Like, it just is what it is. It's one hour of my whole day. Of all the meals I eat for the week, it's not going to crush my goals. Just like if I ate really healthy one meal on a Monday, it's not going to make me be you know the fittest, healthiest person of all time. So again, it's a judgment-free zone when you do that. But the key is to track how you feel before, during, and after this kind of you know binge session. Whether it's an hour or just a meal, whatever you guys choose to do is fine. I say an hour just for the fact of you can only eat yourself so sick in 60 minutes and once it's done, it's just over. And then if you feel like shit, write that down and understand, wow, I did this, but I felt so shitty. And then obviously you have an awareness of what you feel like the next day, but the, the process of doing that can help you guys, you know, identify triggers um, and it'll help you start removing or at least listening and lessening any guilt or shame you feel around eating. So it gives you permission to eat something. So if you're allowed to do something, it, it doesn't feel as urgent. That's why, again, I'm not against like 
the one-off stuff either. Now, if you guys have listened to me for any amount of time, the last three years of the podcast, before that on our blogs and YouTube videos and all the series we have there, again, if you guys are not subscribed to YouTube, we have like almost 1,100 videos on YouTube. There's so many. We answer everything. So subscribe to it, Jeremy Scott Fitness on YouTube. It's all free shit. Um, but if you follow me from way back to those days to before even social media, I could never do anything without going 100% all in. My addictive OCD personality was just so one way. If I was going to eat cookies, I had to eat 50 cookies and, and I couldn't do anything else. In the last year, I've gotten so much better at I can go to Safeway and have like one amazing cookie. I don't have to eat 50. I can just have one. I can eat, you know, just like 30 chips and not have a whole bag of chips. Now, I tend not to keep those things in the house, but I've gotten so much better at the moderation of that. And it's taken me about a fucking decade to get there. I mean, that's how hard this shit is. And so I tend not to put myself in environments and ecosystems where I'm going to mess up. But I've noticed I've gotten better as I go along. And again, I feel like I'm allowed to eat cookies every day. I'm allowed to eat pizza every day. That's what I say to myself. Like, Jeremy, you can have, you can drink beer every day. Um, you can eat pizza every day. You can have Doritos every single day. But I don't. And if I do have a beer, if I do have a cinnamon roll, if I do have three cookies, I don't feel as guilty because I'm allowed to do it. I'm choosing 99% of the time not to do it. It no longer feels like it's forbidden, right? Like it feels like I don't tell myself, oh, you can't do this today. And then I'm just jonesing for, right? It's like if your parents told you like you couldn't, you know, hang out with this girl, all you want to do is hang out with that girl, right? Because it's like it's, it's wrong, it's dangerous, and it makes you want to do it even more, the defiance of it. But if you're allowed to, it's like, eh, I can do it. I'm just choosing not to. So for me, saying that I'm not forbidden to do it, allowing myself to, to you know, play the if it fits your macros game if I want to, which again, 99% of the time, I don't even make the choice to do it. I think it's the change in mindset for me and practice over many years, which has helped me do that. But the intense cravings for whole boxes of cereal or to eat two pizzas at once or to crush a Ben and Jerry's, it turns into a more manageable desire for just like a cookie here or there. Or, you know, I'm going to skip pizza these days. I can wait till Friday to do it. So you have to observe your experience from a kind of neutral standpoint, right? And if you're having trouble, you have to imagine like you're this scientist kind of collecting data, you know, on yourself. But if it, if it helps you, imagine like you're, you're collecting it for somebody else, like the other you, if you will. Like I think of us as two people, like the good us and the bad us, the one of us that follows the rules and the one of us that's just a you know, a rule breaker and kind of a criminal dipshit, which some of us, some of us live in both spaces at, at both and some of us are, are more one than the other. But you have to think of it as you're collecting data to understand the problem so you can find a solution moving forward. And after you do it, you kind of review the auditing work you've done. And what do you notice? Are there any patterns or oh, the aha moments or oh shit, that's what I did. And that's what's going to stick with you. So maybe you notice you know, you head to your pantry right after you get off a stressful work call or right after you talk to your mom or dad or after your kids, you know, did X, Y, and Z. And you realize you've been doing that almost every day for the last six weeks or seven weeks or since this, you know, season of life had started. And it's possible that, you know, you have to do this experiment maybe a few times before the triggers become obvious, but that's okay. You're just, it's trial and error and you're really seeing, you know, what's going to work best for you. And so, 
don't be obsessed about your decision to eat something or not eat something and don't beat yourself up over not winning every decision along the way. Like there's going to be some days you do perfect and some days you mess up and that's all right. But you try to focus on learning more about your own behavior and keeping that auditing worksheet going and keep those notes handy and add to them as you go. And it's, again, that's why I say food's the hardest part. We think like we can just blindly go into it. You have to, if you're going to write down your programs and fitness and follow a written program uh, and have a coach, I think in nutrition, you should probably do the same thing. It's why we offer nutrition coaching here um, in all our programs, but even one-on-one, we do it with people all over the world, you know, 24-7, 365. We never don't do it because we're holding them accountable. I review food logs of these people every Sunday. It's the most boring thing I do, but it helps them more than almost anything else. Knowing somebody's going to check in, we can adjust their macros, we can make food swaps, we can talk to them about why they're making decisions. And once they're aware of their triggers, they can decide what to do about it. And so if it's something you can avoid, great uh, for some of you guys. If you're into baking and you know when you smell cookies, you eat cookies, eh, maybe you should stop baking so much. And so if your trigger isn't something you can avoid, you know, sometimes just being aware of it uh, and knowing your experience, it can help. And that can help you guys. And again, to strategy number two, uh, on the PN article, they're talking about creating a, a nourishment menu, right? And uh, there's a coach, Jen Cooper, she came up with a technique to help clients uh, and even herself deal with the stress eating. And it's, you know, pick a thing before the thing is what she calls it. And it's, it sounds odd, right? But you pick an action, so a thing that you'll always do before you engage in stress eating, which is the other thing. So ideally, you know, it's multiple actions, like a menu um, of choices for you as a person. Now, these actions can disrupt the trigger and the behavior cycle. And so you call it like a nourishment menu, right? Because you're deprived of so many things, you're going to nourish your body, you know, in different levels in different ways. An example could be, you know, not just food-based stuff, right? So Food is an easy way to fill uh, voids when we're having feelings or when we're in our feelings, right? We start to, we eat our feelings, we drink our feelings, if you will. And that's why it's important to have ideas that you can nourish your body and your mind and your spirit in different ways. And the examples that they give here would be like, take a couple deep breaths, drink a glass of water. I do always say being hydrated is key. Mentally check for signs of physical hunger. Play with your pet for five minutes. Do some quick stretches. Go for a short walk. Spend a couple minutes doing some housework. Put on a podcast. Um, for me, personally, being hydrated, drinking coffee, always taking my athletic greens before I eat uh, with lemon water, with my vitamin C, I t- it tends to help me slow down and make a better choice. So just that extra hydration, crushing athletic greens, drinking some lemon water, taking my vitamin C supplement, maybe throwing some spirulina, and I just kind of sit there and I wait like five minutes and be like, okay, how hungry are you really? Is this a thirst trigger? Is this a hunger trigger? And again, if you guys are interested, hit me up. I can send you a link for a 20 free travel packs of Athletic Greens, the one supplement I take every single day. I never miss it. Uh, And in terms of immunity boosting and the way I feel, man, it's been a game changer for me. I've taken it every single day for the last three years. That's how much I give a shit about it. So if you're interested, Hit me up. Otherwise, most of you guys are probably taking it and you know what I'm talking about. So again, I do that and that helps me kind of recalibrate before I do start eating. And again, for a lot of people, the most effective, you know, nourishment menus include actions that are going to line up with your your goals and your values. So if it's doing mobility, you know, mobility sucks and you got to improve. Do your mobility real quick before you jump into a meal or before you jump into snacking and eating and you're 
you'll be more likely to offer, you know, it, it'll offer you hopefully the same feeling of relief you were hoping for um, from food, at least initially, or at least delays the decision. And that's why I say like, for a lot of people, when you're talking about that, I say the food part, it's about winning and losing, right? Selling yourself in the moment. It, and that's why food is the toughest. I've talked about this many times before. When you're going to make a food choice, you can eat amazing the whole day, all real food, all of it fits your macros, all of it's in line. And then you see that carrot cake. You see those cinnamon rolls. You see that pecan pie. You smell those French fries. You see the fried chicken or, you know, you look at that cold glass of wine or the ice cold beer, whatever your, your trigger is. And it's in that moment, you have to sell yourself on why you shouldn't grab it and why you should keep things moving. Or you sell yourself on the reason why you deserve it and you justify it and you break down in the moment. And then all of a sudden you eat four cinnamon rolls and you have two beers and your macros for the day are just completely blown to shit. And if that happens, that's when you audit yourself and you ask and you say, how did I feel before this, during it and after it? And why did it happen? And why did I sell myself in that moment on eating that and drinking that versus just having water and kombucha and doing my mobility? Why in that moment did I lose? And you, you start to keep track of those wins and losses. And the more often you can win those battles and lose them, you start to identify the patterns and become a fitness person. You become a healthy person. And so what you have to do when you're in those moments, right? You have to make it as easy as possible for yourself. You have to ensure, you know, the things you're going to swap out are doable and reasonable. And so if you're going to make like a nourishment menu, right? Or you're going to make a sell yourself menu, I would say like find activities that you can swap out for just emotional eating and drinking and make sure they're longer than, you know, more than 15 minutes um, and have them make sense, right? And I would say if you're going to do that, keep things handy. So if I know if I'm hangry as hell, having a coffee around or drinking water before a bigger meal, having a Powerade Zero or a Gatorade Zero. I know people on the internet sometimes like, oh my God, Jeremy, I can't believe you drink Gatorade Zero. I thought you were a health person. I'm like, we've done a whole podcast on diet soda and how you can drink it in moderation. If you understand the incremental amounts you can have in your body and how it is safe for you, please just do a little bit of research, listen to that podcast, feel free to dig in, you can message me and ask anybody, but I do feel those things can help in those moments, and shit, worst case scenario, if my choice is between eating two pizzas, french fries, and eight cinnamon rolls, or me having a giant glass of water and a small diet soda, and that slowed me down and made me have, you know, wild caught salmon and organic Brussels sprouts, I think I'll go with the diet soda, the salmon, and the Brussels sprouts over all the other shit. I mean, we're all human, right? Like, you have to enjoy yourself a little bit. And if you're finding something that gets you through, I'll take the lesser of the two evils for sure. So, again, I think the key for you guys is just, you know, writing something down and really just understanding it. And again, for a lot of people, when you're so hangry, having readily available healthy food things, I think, is going to be key for a lot of you guys. So, what I mean is, like, the other night, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. I hadn't ate all day. Uh, the day kind of got away from me and uh, I was kind of going through it and I'm like, man, I'm really, really hungry. And I got over it. Heather's making uh, grown turkey with our seasoning and she had seasoned a bunch of asparagus and it's in there. And I was like, oh, I'll grab an asparagus. And I just ate one right out of the pan. I'm like, man, this is really good. Like I was that hungry. Rather, I thought asparagus was like, you know, 
Doritos. I'm like, man, these are great. Now, obviously, I know they're not, but I was so hungry. I was getting satisfied by just eating that. And so I think when you can have those things around, it helps. When you're filling your house, obviously, with good stuff, you're more likely to make a better choice because that's what's readily available and that's what's around. So don't, obviously, we talked about this before, don't fill your house with a bunch of shit. If you know it's going to trigger you, do the single serving stuff or have your husband or wife hide it from you, which at my house, if we do uh, s'mores, right, which we do rarely, but once in a great while, if we have, usually we do it during this season of life, like the last, usually for us, it's uh, March and April and maybe into May because that's when we get most visitors. Obviously, we've had none this year, which sucks ass. Don't get to see our friends and family, but so be it. We usually do s'mores with them because we have two fire pits at our house. We have a gas one and then we have one that we just, a wood burning one. And uh, we go in the backyard. My wife's done an amazing job making our backyard look like a resort. And uh, they come over, we hang out, fireside chats, chill. But we make s'mores when I'm driving it. And uh, we do them kind of traditional except we do like the thin Reese's peanut butter cups, which my wife loves. My wife loves Reese's peanut butter cups or like the, the mini ones. And we'll make those. But I don't really binge on those. I don't really even think about them. But my wife loves them way more than me, so I have to hide them from her. Uh, usually up somewhere high or somewhere where I wouldn't think she's going to look at it. And uh, that out of sight, out of mind, right? So if you know that about you and you know your kids have stuff, you're going to have to, and you're going to dig into it, but your partner is stronger, have your partner hide it from you. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but it does help for sure. If I don't know stuff's around or I hide it somewhere and I forget about it, I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even know we had all the s'more stuff. But if I can see it every day, the marshmallows, the graham crackers, and the Reese's, I might make myself some ghetto-ass s'mores. And what I mean by that is like you put them in the microwave. You guys ever done that? You take like your graham cracker, you throw a little uh, Reese's mini on there, and then you put your marshmallow on top and you throw in the microwave for about eh, probably 15 seconds, and you just smash the other graham cracker on top. doesn't really melt the chocolate as much, but that marshmallow gets a little bit toasty, and you can kind of ghetto eat it over your trash can or over your um, sink, if you will. I'm not saying I do that a lot, but I've been guilty of that in the past. So that's why I say out of sight, out of mind. You don't keep the shit in your house, or if you do have people hide it from you. Anyways, off topic. Uh, last thing we're going to talk about here. Take a self-compassionate approach for a change when you're talking to yourself in terms of how you eat and how you look. And honestly, then it's going to help how you feel. And I say this because I work with people even now, every day digitally. I hear their stories. They send me messages, their wins, their losses. I live with a human and my wife tends to be harder on herself than she has to be in terms of uh, how she eats and and how she looks. I know a lot of people are guilty of that. Women, I think, are worse than dudes because you'll get dudes who think they're Al Bundy. They once threw four touchdowns in a high school football game and they think they're Joe Montana and they'll tell you about it and they think they still, you know, look like Arnold, even though they never did. They kind of still feel that way. Um, it's weird because it's weird because guys do that. I'm not saying women don't. And, and again, I'm not crushing guys here, but you know how many guys I meet like, oh man, you know what? I used to look like, I used to be 6'3", uh, 220, and 4% body fat. I'm like, oh cool, you won the Mr. Olympia, bro? You're fucking crazy. Or the, you know, what we used to get like, oh Jeremy, I used to look just like you. I'm like, really? That's crazy, man. Well, what happened? And you know, it's, it's like, it's this crazy thought process of men. We just, some reason, like, we think we're better than we are sometimes. Not all dudes, but a lot of dudes do. And I find women go the other way. They, they feel like, they're not, they don't look good enough. They're, they're not lean enough. They're not sexy enough. They're not toned enough. And it's really strange because we work with so many beautiful women. And most of them are just, they're fucking rock stars, man. And they look great. And uh, 
it's really weird that they do that. So I'm speaking to everybody, but I know women tend to be harder on themselves. And I don't know why it's society or how we grew up or who fucking knows. But you guys have to take a self you know, compassion approach to this. And you got to be kinder to yourself and you can't be so hard on yourself when you, you're not perfect. And I mean that. And I mean that in all aspects of life, like you as a, as a parent, you know, as a mom, as a dad, as, as a teacher, um, as a coach, as a husband, as a wife, like nothing is normal in this season of life. Like nothing in this, you know, pandemic situation is fucking normal. We've never experienced this shit before. And the the coming out of it, we've never experienced. And it's going to be a little bit weird uh, for people. It's going to be a little bit funky. And so it makes sense that, you know, you might not be eating or exercising or working or living the way that you normally do. This might've thrown you for a complete loop. That's why we moved all our people online as quick as we possibly could to get them in, in some semblance of a routine. And it's why I make all these videos and all the podcasts and we, we sending out stuff every day and we try to get them in programs that are plug and play that they can follow and answer all the questions. Cause I know this season of life of eating and drinking and exercising and waking up and going to sleep is not normal. That's why I harped on the schedule and the routine so much because you have to keep one or you're going to drive yourself fucking crazy and you're going to make poor choices. You know, Idle hands are the devil's playground. Is that what the saying is? I think your idle mind is the same way. Because if, if you are just let to your own devices and boredom creeps in or you're stuck around stuff, uh, people tend not to have the greatest self-control. And so when you're feeling bad you know, about being out of your routine, that can make your stress eating even worse because you can't come to the gym like you're used to. You're not getting to go to work like you used to. You can't go see your friends like you used to. You can't do the same hikes or maybe the same bike rides because you're stuck and certain things are closed off. Like I can't even go to the park right now and play fucking basketball because everyone has like yellow caution tape on it. There's greater tragedies in the world. That's a luxury problem for sure, but it's not ideal if I want to train that way. You know, I'm lucky enough. We own this and I can come in here and still train, but it's not the same. But for the people who are stuck at home and they can't, I have empathy for you. That sucks. And so when you're out of your routine, that can make the stress eating and drinking worse. You're probably less motivated to train and work out. And for some people, it's very hard for them to interact digitally and do fitness delivered to them at home. We do the absolute best we can with what we have. But for some people, it's really tough to work out at home. I feel you. So in many ways, now is the perfect time for you guys to start practicing that self-compassion, especially when you can't do the normal things that you're used to. This is when you cannot be as hard on yourself as you've always been. You can't have the body dysmorphia. You can't be your own worst enemy. You can't talk negative to yourself. You have to stay positive. And self-compassion, you guys, is an attitude of generosity and honesty and kindness towards yourself. You have to have an attitude, you guys, of generosity and honesty and kindness towards yourself. You know, it's giving yourself a fucking break, man, you know, and, and not being so overly crucial and critical of every single decision you make. And a lot of people who deal with stress eating have negative self-talk running through their head before, during, and after. And some of it might sound familiar, you know, it's like, you know, I guess I'm going to hit up, you know, the pantry again and crush some snacks like I always do. Why can't I ever learn? And I'm such an idiot for doing this, or I'm such a fat ass, or I'm such a failure, or, you know, I just had to finish off the ice cream, or I just had to have those 
bottles of wine, didn't I? I don't understand why I'm such an idiot or such a failure. And you can fill in the blank of however you talk to yourself. But there is evidence that negative self-talk, you know, is the opposite of self-compassion. And it signals your brain, you know, in in a less than, you know, positive way. And when I'm talking about that, like when your brain gets a signal to release dopamine, right? Which, again, I'm going to quote here from uh, Krista Scott Dixon, who's a PhD in, uh, over at Precision Nutrition. She's director of curriculum over there. Dopamine is involved in habit formation and the addiction pathway. So that's not great. As a result, the cycle of negative self-talk, stress eating, and feeling bad can become a never-ending loop. And you notice the theme here, right? Like how your brain is working. And again, self-compassion, you guys, is a tool that can interrupt that shitty cycle that you keep getting into. Listen to me when I say this. The self-compassion you show yourself is a tool that can help interrupt that shitty signal and cyclical pattern going on in your brain. And no, we're not trying to trick you into to joining some, you know, kind of, you know, affirmation bullshit cult where you can, you know, spend your time, you know, wishing for rainbows and unicorns to show up and holding fucking hands singing Kumbaya. That's not this. But there is research that supports that you guys if you talk to yourself a certain way and you're more positive than negative, and if you do that more often than not, you're going to be successful. And the practice of self-compassion can help reduce the screw it, I'm an idiot, dipshit feeling you get, you know, right before you kick off that emotional eating. So yeah, it can work for stress eating just by being nice to yourself. Like I would say be nice to people, but I assume you should be nice to yourself. And so importantly, Self-compassion doesn't mean you guys are giving yourself a free pass to eat like shit whenever you want. Self-compassion is you guys giving yourself a break. Being honest with yourself and seeing the big picture and being kind to yourself. That's what self-compassion is. It's not you, you know, a permanent, you know, eat whatever the hell you want, drink whatever you want card. It's not you ignoring your problems. It's, it's not you letting yourself off the hook, but it's also you not being a complete asshole to yourself. The world's going to do that. Enough people are going to be fuck faces to you anyway. You don't got to be one to yourself. I promise you that. So how do you try it? Well, the three big things quick. One, mindfulness. You guys know me. I talk about it a lot. This is when you're aware of what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what you're experiencing, and not judging yourself for it. Being mindful of the situation. Two, the common humanity acknowledging that you're not alone and that everybody goes through this shit we all deal with it at some point i am just like you i know you guys listen to me like jeremy has it all figured out he's all this i am the biggest idiot you've ever met in your life but i've just fucked up so much so early in life i've learned from it and i've gotten past a lot of it where you guys are are just starting now to stumble onto problems i had at 22 some of you guys are just finding problems today that i had at 15 like, that's the only beauty of my messed up existence on this planet, right? So understand we're all human. We all have the same fears. We all have the same, you know, traits and tendencies, and we all fuck up. Now, it's different degrees for sure, but we're all very common. We all, we all spend so much time trying to be unique, yet we're all pretty basic when you break us down as humans. And I know, I wish you guys could see yourselves like how I see you. I, I wish... You could see yourselves as the world sees you. And what I mean is I know there's people who listen to me. 
millions of you now, which is amazing. Um, and, and watch what I do and read what I write. And some people like Jeremy, your spelling is wrong and your punctuation. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm like a 12 year old. I get it. Uh, I, I know my flaws. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. The point I'm driving at is I think a lot of people might hear me and see me and say, well, Jeremy could never fail. He, he, he'll figure it out. He'll always do this, always do that. I try to see myself the way that people talk about me and see me. But at the end of the day, if 99% of the time I have all the confidence in the world, there's still that 1% of me that's a real fucking human. For the 99% of me that is a serial killer robot mutant that just rolls through it and doesn't worry about shit, there's still that 1% of me that is the common human. And I know I'm not alone. And I deal with all the same things that you guys deal with. I'm just open to admitting that uh, and being transparent and being vulnerable and sharing the things that I feel with you guys. And I think you all have to, too. So just know, I don't eat perfect. I don't train perfect. I don't sleep perfect. I don't do anything perfect. I do the best I can every single day. And when I fuck up, I try to improve on it the next day. And over the course of many years of me being a complete dipshit, I've gotten to this point and I'll always strive to be better. And the second, or excuse me, the last thing I'll say, it's the self-kindness. You got to be generous and decent to yourself every single day. You really do. So when you're about to stress eat or stress drink, you got to interrupt the cycle with some self-compassion, some kindness and some love, man. Just fucking love yourself. And what that looks like, one, mindfulness. I'm so anxious about being cooped up in my house right now. I hate being locked up. And man, those chips are really calling my name. I'm so pissed off at being at home. I'm going to pretend like I'm on vacation right now and have seven drinks. I'm not telling you you can't drink or eat chips, but understand it's not solving the problem if you go overboard. Moderation with everything is key. The common humanity thing. That's okay. Plenty of people have a hard time saying no to chips and you justify eating a bunch of chips because your friends or your family members do it. That's why I don't like the comparison game. And then self-kindness. Take a deep breath. Whether or not I choose to eat right now, it's going to be okay. And it works, you guys. It really does. You know, you're going to feel guilty sometimes and it's okay. And a lot of people are feeling the same way you feel right now about spending all their time at home. And it's all right. You can shake it off. You just ate some chips. Um, You just had a couple of drinks. It fucking happens. Uh, It doesn't mean anything about who you are deep down as a person. And and what you did today doesn't matter what you do tomorrow. So the key distinction here is that self-compassion is not an excuse to stress, eat and stress, drink and do stupid shit. Its purpose is to help you guys remove the guilt that you might be feeling from stress eating. It's important since that guilt can lead you to more overeating and more over drinking. So give it a try. And even if you feel a little bit weird at first, it just might be the thing that works out. And again, It's totally normal to be feeling all the feelings right now anyway. And and remember, it's understandable that people look to food and to booze when they're having certain feelings, but it doesn't have to be the end result and it doesn't have to always be the decision you make. And I understand that food and drink, you know, brings joy and comfort and and sustenance and gives you a buzz and gives you like this kind of high that, you know, delays the problems for a minute. And we associate, you know, food and drink with social interaction with dinner with friends and family and I know we're missing that right now and it sucks and we equate it to having good memories and big life moments and meals shared with loved ones and nights out at the bars with our homies or watching you know sporting events having a couple beers I get it man I miss all that shit and uh 
We might even use food sometimes in the way that we drink to define ourselves in our jobs and our cultures or even our relationships if we're a cook or we're a fitness person or you know we're a beer connoisseur or we're a whiskey person whatever it may be but the more we use food to bury how we feel the worse those uncomfortable feelings get and like Robert Frost wrote and I quote the best way out is always through is that the easiest path fuck no it ain't but it's the only one that's gonna provide you guys relief and it's something that we would call you to do right now you know our brains and our lives for that matter tend to work in cycles but the stress eating cycle that's when you can opt out of and you can get out of and you can make a switch and you can make a different choice in your life if you really choose to and if it matters to you is it gonna be easy no but I really don't see any other option if you really want to make you know a long-lasting lifestyle habit change to be a healthier happy person and you're leading from the front and your friends and family will gravitate towards you that's why I harp on having a goal accountability and a coach so often because it matters you're surrounded by somebody who checks in on you and who gives a shit about you and you're with friends who work out and eat right and don't always do stupid stuff like the average person does. That's why we have an inner circle coaching group. It's why we're launching our 34 days to fit right now in this season because I know people need it. That's why we're always available to do one-on-one coaching and everything else because there is a need there in the marketplace for people. If it was super easy, we'd all walk around being the healthiest humans ever and we wouldn't see you know, the infection rates and the people dropping dead from all the shit that goes on in the world, not just this season of life, but forever, of all the things we could cure by just eating right and exercising and getting quality sleep, but it's tough to do. Otherwise, everybody would be shredded. Everybody would look like Brad Pitt you know, from Troy, but they don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really a tough thing to master solo without a goal and accountability and a coach helping you along the way. But you have to do the work up front and then from there reach out and surround yourself with the like-minded people to help you keep the momentum moving forward. So again, I know I rambled on a lot here, you guys, uh, but if we're talking solutions for stress eating, that's an easy way to at least start out uh, and go about it. And hopefully you grab something from that. Or if I touched on something that you personally do, now you have a different viewpoint of how to tackle it moving forward in the future. So again, I'm not perfect with anything. I I fuck up a lot, but I have gotten really good at a lot of the things I mentioned here. And it took a lot of practice over time. And I do audit myself and I take it serious and I do the work that most people aren't willing to do in terms of, you know, my personality and my lifestyle and my habits. And and most people aren't willing to do that. And that's personal development stuff. It's also tied to habit base and lifestyle based decisions where it isn't easy to look yourself in the mirror and be like, man, I suck at this. I either got to get better or I got to change. And that's you just having self-awareness. And if there's a gift I got, I, I do got that for sure. I know who I am and I know what people think about me and I know the people that think I'm great and the people that think I suck and I roll with it. And uh, I make the, the decisions that are best for me and my happiness and my health. And I think that's all any of us can do. So hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed that. Uh, real quick, again, reminder, our 34 Days to Fit program is kicking off here in seven days. If you're interested, hit me up. I'll send you guys a podcast discount code. Or if you're looking for something different, just reach out to me, send me a DM or an email. I'm happy to reply back to you and find something that works for you. Uh, so you can get through not just this season, but as we move you know, into the later parts of this year, be the healthiest, happiest version of yourself. So if you're on iTunes right now, stop. Don't be a lazy ass. Go to the podcast app. Scroll your finger all the way down. Five star me. Drop me a comment under ratings and reviews. If you're on an iPad or a MacBook, go to your iTunes icon. Click 
the iTunes and go to Jeremy Scott Fitness, five star, leave a comment, share this with a friend or a family member who you know struggles with stress eating or might be looking for some other solutions to make some better choices in terms of how they eat, how they drink, and how they move forward from where they're currently at because the casket effect you guys have by sharing positive information goes so far beyond you can ever imagine. And these podcasts are meant to help other people just live their absolute best life. And I'll keep pumping them out. But if you got requests, send me them as quick as possible. And until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.